This is episode 240 of the Mind Body Musings podcast with your host, Madeline Moon. Kelly Tennant is the host of the Platform Podcast, a podcast focusing on merging functional medicine, Ayurveda, and spirituality in service of women's healing journeys. As an autoimmune warrior, Kelly hosts private courses and events to teach others how to live intentionally, eliminate inflammation, and detox every aspect of their lives. Kelly and I's interview is so in-depth and everything around healing autoimmune disorders, having relationships whenever you are not in your most healthy state and how to communicate with people clearly and properly and how to learn to do the things in your life that really serve you. Even if they served you years ago, it might not mean it's a good fit now. So learning how to say no to what you do not want in your life and say yes to what you do. I love this interview with Kelly. She is such a bright light doing so many wonderful things in the world today. You know, there's some people when you just go to their website and it feels fresh and clean and positive and happy and motivating and inspiring and light and uh, fulfilling. And that's definitely Kelly's website to me. I have loved going to it and reading all that she's doing around health and and the information she's spreading around autoimmune disorders and healing our bodies with nourishing food and and cleaning our systems in such a positive way and a passionate way too, you will soon hear. So I'm excited to release this episode. And before we do that, I would love to share the review of the week. And this comes from Aaron, 1977, inspired to be myself with five stars. There are so many reasons why I love Maddie's podcast. The biggest one is that listening has inspired me and almost given me permission to be totally me and to own my femininity and love it. I had been suppressing it when trying to grow my business because I felt I needed to be strong and tough, in quotes. Now I'm feeling like my soft, feminine, sensual self again, and I'm so happy and more confident. And men are finding me way more attractive than ever before, which is crazy. Also, I never even knew that I was suppressing my feminine and or it was causing problems in my life until listening. This podcast is among my top favorites right there with Oprah Super Soul. Oh, thank you, Erin, 1977. I am so grateful for that and totally honored to be up there with Oprah Super Soul. Those words mean so much to me. If you enjoy this show and you would like to leave a review, go head on over to iTunes. It's super simple. Just click ratings and reviews, write a review, and let us know your, your thoughts on the show. Would love to hear those. I don't have anything else to share today. I'm just so excited. Uh, we do mention a couple books in this podcast interview. So if you want to get a free book, a free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash mindbodymusings. You can get a free book and a 30-day trial of Audible. All right, let's go head on over to the show. Tenant, welcome to the Mind Body Musings podcast. It is amazing to have you here today. I have been listening to some of your interviews, especially where you have been interviewed, and I have so many questions for you around <laughs> relationships and communication and recovering from sicknesses and illnesses and, and having a clean, healthy lifestyle. You are full of so much beautiful insight. So thank you for coming on to the podcast and sharing with us today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to share with your community, which is so beautiful. You've done such an amazing job of curating so many great people. So I'm really excited to be on. Thank you. And I feel the same way about you. I was looking through all the guests you've had on your show and I'm like, wow, yes, yes, yes. I love this person. I love this person. And the last thing I listened to with, um, you on it was the episode that you did with Jordan Younger, the balanced yeah. blonde. I loved that episode. I loved it. Y'all got into some topics that I don't think are really covered in full honesty, you know, mm -hmm. like, especially the part around, there's one thing you particularly said, I know I'm obviously just jumping right on into this, but I love it. you had said one thing that stood out to me about 
being afraid to say no to when your friends invite you out and Mm -hmm. you came to terms with, you know what, if they stop inviting me out because I continuously say, no, I can't come out tonight. I can't come out tonight because you're tired, you're recovering, which we will get all into. Um, you talked about how you just came to this conclusion that you're not the going out friend and it's okay. Yeah. Isn't that amazing when you come to terms with who you are and you just accept it? I I love this conversation with Jordan. It's one topic that she and I have both struggled with a lot. So I'm so glad she's, she's kind of been my friend that I've been able to look to for guidance on this one. Um, because she's so unapologetically herself. And that's not something that I have really been in my life. And I think working in sports, um, for so long and working with men, you're constantly just saying, yes, okay, I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll go out with you guys after the game. We'll go have a drink. I'll, you know, push myself. And I just got to this point where I thought, what am I doing? Like, I feel awful when I wake up the next morning, I'm not my best self. I really don't enjoy being out late. I mean, for example, I was in bed at eight o'clock last night and that could not have made me happier. Right. I think so many of us in this community are like that. What is Angie Lee called? Baby grandmas. I think we're all baby grandmas. Oh, it's so funny. I love this. Um, But that that's really how I like to live my life. I wake up at 6am and I'll go to bed at 8pm and that's amazing. And that's how I feel my best. And I wasn't doing that. And I realized that I was living so much of my life for other people to make them feel comfortable. Because if you say, no, I don't want to go out. They feel uncomfortable. It doesn't need to be you that feels uncomfortable. And so I have always been tiptoeing and walking on eggshells and people pleasing to make sure everyone in my life is comfortable and happy and taken care of. But guess who falls off the cliff when you do that? You fall off the cliff. You're the one that's not taking care of. You're the one that's not living your life for you. And to be totally honest, I was freaking tired and I just couldn't live like that anymore. It was almost like living this double personality of, oh, I'll go out and I'll do and I'll be. And then I come home and I have to be a hermit for three days to recover. And that's not a way to live your life. So I just had to say, you know what? It's okay if I'm not getting invited and it's okay if people don't understand it's my life, not theirs. Mm, You are speaking to my soul right now. And this is, this is nourishing for me as well because I, I go do a lot of like group activities and things like uh, yoga or, or acro yoga or partner yoga, whatever. I mean, obviously I'm just mentioning yoga cause that's on the top of my head right now. Do a um, lot of yoga. <laughs> yeah. But like, that's like my group friend. And then afterwards they always want to go do something else. So like, let's go out to eat. Let's go out for drinks. Let's go to see a movie, blah, blah, blah. But I'm always like, you know what? I just want to do this one thing and then go home. And then I feel bad because then I'm like, well, we, I should continue the fun. But you know what? That ends up being like five and a half hours out of my day. If I do both of those things. And so I've had to consistently say no a lot of times to the after the activity fun event. And for a long time, this was something I was super, um, I just felt a lot of guilt around, like everyone else is going out and they're creating all these more memories. You know, they're, they're a group, they're close. I wish that, you know, next time, next time that they asked me to go out to dinner or go out for a drink afterwards, I'm going to say yes, I'm going to say yes. But when it always comes down to it, whenever I'm in, in the request, I'm like, you know what? I just want to go home. I had my fun. I'm tired. I want to go curl up on the couch and read a book now. And simply coming to terms with the fact you know what? I'm not that friend. I'm not the go out after the event friend. I'm the one that's just going to do this and I'm going to go home. That brings so much peace when you're finally just okay with that. Like you said, realizing that is is your life, not anybody else's and you have nothing to prove. And if you go and do that thing, most often people realize I really just want to be home. I really just wish Mm -hmm. that I had done what I did, what I wanted to do in that moment because now I'm here and I really, my brain is mentally not here. It's there. Yeah. A couple of things came up for me while you were talking about that. There's two books that I think are really helpful for people like you and I that really do need to go in spurts and then be home. One is, um, the highly sensitive person. And then the other is dodging energy vampires. So if anyone feels like you and I do, I highly recommend those because it really helps you understand yourself and also realize that you're not the only one on the planet that lives like this. So those are two really helpful books, but I think you have to look at people that go out and there's nothing wrong with it, but there's, I think there's two different categories. There's people that are extroverts that really truly do feed off of 
being out with people and that's how they recover. It's like us being at home alone. They get to go out and they feel mm. better. And that's amazing. And I wish I had a little bit more of that in me, but I don't. And that's okay. The other group I think is a group of people that are still trying to find themselves and are insecure or have FOMO because what does it mean if they don't go out? What does it mean about them? Oftentimes when I talk to people, it means to them that there's something wrong with them, that they're not good enough, that they're not liked, that people won't like them if they don't go out. And so there's deeper work that has to be done there. And so I often ask people, you know, what is the underlying reason that you want to go out so badly? And if you really trace it back, usually it's because they just want people to like them and they, they want to feel included. And for me, that's no longer a good enough reason to go out. And that's how I lived so much of my life, but I'm 31 now. And I'm just so clear that I don't need that. Um, I don't need people to, you know, decide that I'm good enough because I go out with them at night. So I think that's an important way to look at it as well. I'm so glad you mentioned both those books. I haven't read the first one, but I have read, uh, I would say three fourths of the second one. And I love yeah. dodging energy vampires. So, so good. Yeah. Um, it's really good. And I've also recently been seeing around Instagram, there's FOMO, right? But then there's JOMO, which is the joy of missing out. And I <laughs> yes. loved that reframe because FOMO is so real, but you know, especially for you, you've had, you had all those years of going out and, and being with all the guys and doing the drinks and, and going to the parties, I'm sure. And just being saying yes, yes, yes to all those things. If there was something that you really would be missing out on, if you said no, you would know that by now. Like, you yes. know, there's like this magical, amazing thing that happens and it brings you this happiness, but no, it doesn't. And that's why we're, we're motivated more by fear when we miss out rather than by love. If it's by love, it's not a complicated question of whether or not to go. You just go because you love it. And it's, it's a no brainer. Yes, I want to be there. But since not going to certain things cause FOMO, it's from fear. It's just important to take a step back and realize anything motivated by, by fear, going to do the certain thing by fear, it's kind of like a prison in its own way. Yeah, it is. And it feels completely out of alignment for you. Mm -hmm. And so you have to do that gut check of, is this an ali in alignment with my values mm -hmm. and my morals and my beliefs and where I'm going? And if it's not, you just, you have to say no. I was talking to um, Natalie Miles, who's a psychic medium on the show the other day. And she said, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. And that's period. There's no in between. And that's how I feel now. Such an interesting concept because I've been going back and forth on whether or not I believe about, I believe in this or not. And mm. because I believe in so many shades of gray and, and my intuition often feels pretty, I, I wouldn't say cloudy, but just feels like I could see both paths working. And then sometimes I just simply have to go with, I just make a choice and go with it and then everything works out. So I'm like, yeah, that's probably the right decision. Everything worked out, but I've just, I'm, I love that you brought this up because there are certain points in my life where I'm like, yes, if it's not a hell yes and it's a hell no or, or vice versa. But then other times I'm like, I don't know, because <laughs> I, I also feel like there's always the in-between space of both paths could potentially work. And it, and sometimes it's, it's by a, a random choice in my heart. I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to just test this theory out. That's why a lot of times I tell people like self-test rather than self-trust because trust is a lot of pressure sometimes when you're so used mm -hmm. to cutting off your, your intuition, you know, your society says, no, you're not correct about this. Do this instead. Your parents say, no, no, don't go down that path. Do this instead. And so learning how to trust ourselves can be really scary. So a lot of times testing is a good theory. And then how do you test without knowing there's a little bit of of gray in between. I'm curious on your thoughts around that. Yeah, it's such a good point. Cause I am, I'm an extremist for sure. I don't ever live in the gray area. That's one thing I'm trying to work on. But, um, I think when it comes to this conversation and knowing whether something's in alignment for you and what you're going to say, whether it's yes or no is doing that testing. And, um, I've actually had that conversation quite a bit lately. It's funny. You mentioned that is you have to test in order to see how things feel for you. Otherwise you'll never know what it feels like when something is out of alignment for you or if it is in flow. And so I think that testing is super important, especially as we're growing up and we're, you know, we're feeling out the world. How is this going to make me feel? Is this a good idea? My mom's not deciding this for me now. So I get to, I get to choose what does that look like? But I think as you do it more and more, it just becomes very clear whether or not something is for you or it's not. Mm. And that's something that I think is kind of like a skill that you work on and you practice because as you get further along, 
you start to realize, okay, this, there's that feeling again. That was the feeling when something wasn't for me and I don't want to go down that path again. So this feels like it's more for me and that's how I make the decision. So yeah, I do think that there is gray area. It's tough. It's not black or white always, but I think the more you practice, the better you get at deciding which path you're going to take. Absolutely. To all of that. Yes, yes, yes. So before we go into your journey, which I'm so excited for you to share, I want to hear about what are you really musing about right now? What has you fascinated in life? That's such a great question. I think for me, it's this idea that so many people have the same experiences as me. And I lived for so long of my life feeling so lonely, like I was the only one. And I could say that for a lot of different experiences, um, whether it was not feeling like I'm good enough or having experienced trauma in my life or, um, you know, looking body image issues or being suicidal when I was 12 or being sick for so long with chronic illness. I mean, you name it. I always felt like it was just me. And I was told in third grade that I was an outlier. And when you're eight, you don't really understand that. And my mom tried to explain it to me. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago where that really made sense where, yeah, you stick out and you don't necessarily fit in, but it can be a positive thing. And I correlated that in my younger years too. You're the only one having all of these experiences and no one will understand. Mm. And that's been really hard my whole life, just feeling like I don't fit in and my friends don't understand me and kids my age don't get it. And so I would hang out with older people. And now that I am in this space and working with so many women and having these conversations, I realize that we're all having such similar experiences and we all really need the same things. We all want to be held, seen, and heard. We all want to feel protected and we all want a safe space to grow. And whether or not you have been raped in your life or you just don't like the way you look, things always come back to those core needs. And for me, it's been, it's, given me a lot of peace around my own experience and realizing that I'm not by myself in this. Um, and it's also given me so much drive to want to serve other women in their healing journeys because mine has been tumultuous for sure. And it's been very up and down, but I've had the resources and I've done a lot of the uh, research around how to heal that I want to share that with other people because I just see that need and I, I understand what they've gone through. I love it. I love it so much. This is something that I think it, maybe it comes with time. I'm sure there's some young, young souls that have lived past lives where they understand this. But I also mm-hmm. do believe this is something that a lot of us, maybe early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, early 30s, I mean, anywhere around there, especially maybe I just feel that way because that's a lot of the listeners on the podcast. But yeah. there's a really big awakening to this. There's mm-hmm. a really big awakening to everyone is having such a similar experience. I mean, every age, really, honestly, I think it's the time that we're in right now with access to hearing people's stories, podcasts, um, interviews, more media sources. Of course, there can be the caveats to it. And you also have to be very careful what you expose yourself to. But it's also so brilliant that we have access to hear so many people's fears and dreams and hopes and insecurities and, and say me too, right? I've been there. I know this. I have had a similar experience to you, slightly different in that what I'm realizing deeply, I always kind of logically understood this, but deeply I'm starting to understand this, that there really is truly this, this source, the divine within each person. And Mm. so when I get frustrated or upset or angry at the cash cashier or uh, the other day, the person that groomed my dog or like whoever it may be, if I get a little bit upset, I look for the divine within them and realize that it's the very same divine within me. We all have this source within us. We're all human beings. We're all spirits having the human experience. You know, that very popular a way to look at things. It's so true. And the more I'm hearing people's stories and fears and dreams, and especially pain, 
because pain is deeply vulnerable and a shared experience to the max, the more I am realizing or not realizing, but the more compassionate I am when I get triggered or frustrated or upset at the actions or opinions of someone else, I realize they are having probably the very same experience that I am having, but deep within them is this pure divine light that cannot be touched and cannot be changed. It's always there and it's always just wanting to love deep down underneath the grief and the pain and the fear and all of that is just this core desire to love and be loved. I love that you said that because I think that's, um, that's something that I have done for a long time is I, I truly see the divinity and the good in people. And it's really hard for me to see when they do something bad to really hold that against them because I keep thinking what pain I've been in and how I've probably hurt people in that pain. And so I think, my God, what are they going through? What have they been through? What karma have they brought into this life? What are they trying to write or what are they not understanding? And so they're lashing out, um, or they, they must not feel good about themselves if they're taking it out on someone else in that horrific way. And when you look at it from that perspective, it's not to say that, Oh, well, people can do whatever they want because they're going through something hard and, you know, they have a, you know, hall pass or whatever. But I think when you look at it from the perspective you just explained and you, you take that step back and you realize so often that it's not about you, it's really about them on their journey and you're just sort of a catalyst or a mirror within that, then it can give you a lot of peace of mind and you don't get wrapped up in their stuff. And I think that's a really important uh kind of cut or cord that you have to cut, you can't be connected in that way to them because it's really their journey, not yours. And you have to make that differentiation. All right. So story time. I want to hear your story. <laughs> um, of course, you know, this question, how you got to where you are today, yeah. but, um, you have so many ins and outs. So I'm excited to hear from you firsthand how you got to where you are today. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up in Southern California and, um, was very tall at a young age. So I started playing volleyball and ended up on a full ride scholarship to USC and was the captain of that team and experienced a lot of success there. It was really amazing. It was a dream for me to be playing at USC. And, um, I chose them over the other schools because they had a broadcasting department. And I knew from the time I was 10 that I wanted to be on camera. I would host the morning announcements in sixth grade for whatever reason. I don't know why my school had the budget for this, but we had our own television department in middle school. <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah, I ran with it. Um, and that was the first time I was on TV and I just thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. I get to authentically be myself. I truly felt like me when I was on camera and I, I knew I wanted more of that feeling. And so I chose USC. I spent two years on the team and then I got severely ill. I went from being in the best shape of my life. My sophomore year, I was captain. We were getting ready to go on this two week European trip. I'm feeling incredible. My body is in the best shape ever. And I was home for Easter and it was literally like one day felt incredible. The next day couldn't even stand up, couldn't feel my left leg. It was totally numb and dead. Um, my, my back just, I don't know what was happening, but I couldn't stand up straight and the exhaustion, it was like this cloud just took over my body and I was so tired. I couldn't see straight. I was in severe pain and had no idea what was going on. And for six months went undiagnosed or misdiagnosed, I guess. Um, people didn't know what was going on. They thought I had cancer. They thought I had broken my back. They thought I had torn discs. Um, I was getting epidural injections. I was on every drug under the sun because I was trying to go on this Europe trip. And so I just said, give me everything you've got. Um, and my coach had called me the couple of days before we were supposed to go to Europe and said, you have to make this trip. I think this might be the last time you ever play. And I knew that that was true. And so I made the trip and I, <laughs> I remember some of the trip, but I was really hopped up on drugs the whole time because I was just trying to be numb so I could play volleyball and I played amazing. And that was the last time I ever played. She was right. And after that, I spent that six months not knowing what was going on. And I finally was diagnosed with fibromyalgia at the end of that year and the doctor said, I'm sorry, but you'll never, you're never going to play volleyball again. And that was obviously a huge gut check for me because my identity and everything I was, was wrapped in volleyball. I was 
top player since I was 12. Everyone knew who I was in that world. And I had really thrived on being a great volleyball player. It got me a full ride scholarship to an amazing school. And all of a sudden everything's ripped from you at 19 and definitely doesn't feel good. And I also was just so sick. I couldn't even comprehend reality at the time. And so I spent um, the next few years trying to figure out what was going on, going from doctor to doctor. And every doctor kind of said the same thing, um, that fibromyalgia is what I had, but they couldn't test it in any blood tests. And I didn't know at the time that there's so much more extensive testing that needed to be done, but it's really an umbrella diagnosis that they give you. So I'm 19. I don't know anything about alternative medicine, nor do my parents. So we did our best and we kind of just sat with that. And I tried to heal myself. So I got off all the medication and I just started trying to holistically heal. So I tried all these different diets and, um, Finally found paleo in 2009, which really helped. It eliminated a lot of the triggers and inflammation in my body. Um, And while I was at USC still sick, I dove headfirst into broadcasting. And so I was covering the team. Um, USC football was very good at the time. And I used to, you know, I was friends with all those guys and worked out with them. So I would go out to practice and do interviews and really honed my skills as a reporter and host. And so when I graduated, I got a job at ESPN immediately. And so that started my broadcasting career and had a bunch of different jobs um, over the last 14 years within sports, doing sideline and trying to figure it out and be this, you know, smiley, happy girl on TV while also wanting to die because the pain was so bad. And sometimes I couldn't read the teleprompter because my vision was so blurry. And it was just this just really interesting kind of double life I was living that no one had any idea I was sick because for whatever reason, I never look sick. Um, and if you slap enough makeup on anybody, they're going to look fine. And so that was sort of how I got through and I would go to work and I would come home and I would be crying. I would be writhing in pain. I would be so depressed. And I just wanted to crawl into a hole because I had no idea what was going on. And the most random things would trigger me. And I just, I couldn't figure it out. And so I, um, went back and forth between different jobs and five, almost six years ago, I guess, um, landed in LA doing, um, I was hosting for the Lakers, the Dodgers, the Galaxy, and the Sparks. So it was like this dream job that so many people want, very highly coveted, um, obviously very in the public eye if you're in Los Angeles covering those teams. And it was amazing, but I was also still very sick. And it was a really taxing job in sort of, you know, a toxic environment where I just wasn't able to thrive or heal. And, um, so last year in March, I quit my job and I decided to start the platform. Um, I really wanted to have authentic conversations with people that were longer than 30 second hits on, you know, why a player made a certain decision at this point in the game or interviewing a coach that didn't want to talk to me at the time, you know, whatever it is, I really wanted to get into it and have those really good conversations with people. Um, and so that's why I ended up leaving and I didn't figure out, uh, my health stuff until the summer of 2017. I found a functional medicine doctor who, I walked in and he listens to my story and is crying with me. Like, I don't know how you are functioning. And I said, me neither. (laughs) And he's so amazing. Dr. Lekos, he's here in Los Angeles. He's become one of my dearest friends. But he said, look, I don't think you have fibromyalgia. You don't fit the bill at all. I think you have Epstein-Barr and chronic fatigue syndrome. I think you have leaky gut and all of these different um, gut issues including SIBO that I think are causing this and let's do all of these tests and see what comes back. And he was spot on. He knew everything he said I had plus more. And so we started healing and it's been over a year journey of healing with him, but I feel so good. And I haven't checked my Epstein bar numbers, um, because those tests are kind of hit or miss after a while as to whether it's active, active or not but I feel incredible and doing his protocol and following his guidelines and really getting to the root of what was going on in my gut totally changed my life. So that is how I got to where I am today. Wow. (laughs) So looking back at the first 
diagnosis that you received. And you said that you went to multiple different doctors. Yeah. And they're the best doctors, like the USC top doctors in the world. And they had no clue what was going on. How does that make you feel? I just like, it's so, it's so scary. (laughs) It's so scary. And it's so common. Like you talked to, you asked me about my muse earlier and what really drives me. This is what drives me. This is how the medical system is. Western medicine, conventional doctors, this is how they practice. If they don't see something on a scan and it doesn't make sense in the books that they're learning from, from 30 years ago, then they don't know what to do and they just give you pills or they improperly diagnose you because they don't know how to go further. They're not up to date on any new research. They don't know anything about nutrition. They get an hour or less training on nutrition as a doctor, which is horrifying. So at the time I, I didn't know it, it was bad. And now I realize how horrible that is and that you have to get to the root of the problem. So Yeah, it made me feel really bad, especially looking back, thinking you were a top neurologist in the world and you were, you said that nothing showed on my scans, but then you diagnosed me with a, um, a torn disc and gave me three epidurals to follow when there was nothing wrong with me. Like how messed up is that? I'm 19 years old. (laughs) Mm, Jeez. Oh my gosh. I cannot even, I cannot even imagine like how terrifying that would be. And also how relieving it would be to finally find a doctor like thank goodness you found him someone that actually like that's he has to have so much intuitive wisdom just to hear your story and be able to say that so what is Epstein-Barr exactly I mean I personally know a bit on it and I'll share I'll share with you why but for anyone that is um very unfamiliar with that tell us where does it come from Yeah. So it is the virus that accompanies mononucleosis. So if you've ever had mono, which is most of us, you have Epstein-Barr in your body. And they say that about 95% of the world has Epstein-Barr because we're all just exposed to it. It's not necessarily active in people. And if you have a compromised immune system, you deal with a trauma, um, something that can trigger it, it will activate in your system. And then that will make you really sick. And the, the common understanding is that leaky gut and things like Epstein-Barr are really the root causes for so many autoimmune diseases. So likely if you have, um, if you have a fibromyalgia, you have a rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, Hashimoto's, Graves' disease, any of that, you likely have um, activated Epstein-Barr numbers and leaky gut. So it causes a lot of issues. It causes chronic fatigue and... Um, it just wreaks havoc on your system. It, your adrenals are out of whack, your cortisol levels, and nothing is working properly. So I actually got mono, I would say, I think it was the sophomore year of college. Mm. I got mono and this was a very, I, I wouldn't say dark, but definitely like a darker period in my life, given the college atmosphere I was in. Like it was, it was the the summer after my sophomore year, I believe, or going into my sophomore year. That's what it was. And I had been day drinking like by myself. Like I was getting to the point that I was normalizing alcohol on a consistent basis to the level that I thought, you know, it's cool to drink like by yourself. And I remember I was drinking all the time this, this summer. And I was also working at a grocery store and I was exhausted all the time. I was feeling sick all all the time. And I just drank to fill, it wasn't making it sound like pretty, pretty extreme. And it probably isn't as extreme as I'm making it sound, but, but yet it was to the point where I was doing it very often and feeling exhausted and terrible and sick. And it was just a mess. Like I was so much of a mess that summer. I remember the summer very well. And I started to feel depressed all the time. Just this constant low level. I think the alcohol obviously contributed a lot to it, but I knew something else was going on and I started to gain weight as well. I found out later, my mom had me go to a doctor and they tested my blood and they found out that I had had mono for five months or something Mm -hmm. like that. It was a long time and I was working at a grocery store and I was handling food all day and I was drinking. So I don't, I didn't get much information on it. My mom just passed on that news to me and was like, you need to rest. And then I ended up, it ended up clearing out 
out of my system maybe a month later. But the entire time that I had been partying and drinking and living this very unhealthy lifestyle, I had been walking around with mono and also depression because that's part of mono is being depressed. Mm-hmm. And now Epstein Barr, my mom had, I think, read one article about Epstein Barr. And every single time I cough, I sneeze, I say I'm tired, she goes, Oh, it's probably Epstein Barr. <laughs> you are the first person that I've ever met, like that that knows that they have had Epstein Barr or has Epstein Barr. And otherwise, I just associate it with that thing my mom consistently says <laughs> I have every time I cough. I say I'm tired. She always goes, "Oh, it's it's Epstein Barr. I um uh, it's Epstein Barr, Madeline. I know it. Mm-hmm. And just I mean every single time." I mean, you have Epstein-Barr, but I can't tell you that you're coughing because of it. So see, this is a new piece of information. So I will tell her this next time and I'll say, mom, I have it. You probably have it. We all have it, but it might not be activated. But that's interesting that anyone that has had mono has Epstein-Barr. I can't believe that. So it's just like exhaustion. That's what you're saying. Like one of the main things that people, if they feel should go get checked out is if they have extreme exhaustion. And then what are some of the other things people can look out for? So oftentimes, um, if you have any chronic illness, leaky gut is also a part of it. And so they can do stool tests that will look to see if you have the perforations within your gut and, um, like that permeability, I guess they, they call it oftentimes. And then I had SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And oftentimes those go hand in hand as well. And that is often misdiagnosed as IBS. So I had been told I had IBS my whole life. Well, I actually have SIBO. And so I had to treat the SIBO. And once I treated that, it got all of that horrible bacteria kind of killed off and my stomach and intestines started working properly. So then I was able to heal the leaky gut, which is basically holes in your stomach. So anytime you eat food that's inflammatory, it leaks into your body, into your bloodstream that causes chronic pain, fatigue, um, brain fog, all those kinds of symptoms. So if you're having brain fog, that's another like red flag that you're dealing probably with autoimmune disease and something is causing that. Often people that are allergic to gluten will have brain fog. And once you take the gluten out, the brain fog will rise. So those are all things to really look at. Um, And then also the cortisol and adrenal levels I was mentioning earlier, if you wake up after sleeping, say you sleep seven hours, you wake up tired, but then you have energy at 8 PM. That means your cortisol levels are off. And so you really have to work to get those back on track too, because if you're not sleeping well and you're not feeling rested when you wake up, then something's really wrong and your body can never heal. So those are all things that are really important to look at. I always recommend that people work with a functional medicine doctor or a naturopath and ask to make sure they're getting all the tests. If you don't have access to someone like that, you can go and ask your doctor for these tests, your general practitioner, your endocrinologist, whoever it is, they're going to push back most likely. But if you know specifically, Hey, I have this distension in my stomach. I don't really digest food. Well, can we do a SIBO test or I'm really tired in the morning and then I have energy at night. Can we do a cortisol test? At least you're coming to them asking for specific testing and usually insurance covers all those things. So you can get a lot of it out of the way. And then you can sometimes self-treat based on what you find out. And a lot of it is back to stress and the diet that you eat and the way you live your life. And sometimes we don't need a doctor specifically for those things other than to just get us the test done. So we know where our baseline is and what we're working with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. I Mm -hmm. think it's this, this is one of the really great things about you having your platform of, Mm -hmm. of spreading all of this awareness that a lot of people aren't awakened to. Um, and I would, the other thing I really want to talk about is during all of this time, you, during all of the, the sickness, you were in a relationship, the same relationship you are in right now. Right. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that and what it was like to go through the depths of your sickness being in relationship. Yeah, I had had, um, uh, a boyfriend early on when I was first diagnosed and he told me I was faking it and making it up and Mm. was kind of a jerk to me. 
And I understand now that he just didn't understand and neither did I. So it was just really this foreign concept. And oftentimes people say fibromyalgia is made up and that women are kind of crazy and that's the problem. And that was in 2008, 2007, around then. So, I mean, we've come so far since then. So I don't imagine he would probably have the same reaction to someone dealing with what I was dealing with. But that was sort of my introduction to being in a relationship with someone while being really sick. And that wasn't good. And um, so as I had been sick over the last couple of years and been with Bruce, he he struggled with it as well. I think it was really hard for him because he felt helpless and he didn't know how to support me or what to do. And Jordan Younger and I talked about this quite a bit is you have to almost teach them and show them how you need to be supported. And you can't expect your partner or your family to read your mind and know what you need because they're not feeling your pain. They don't know what it's like. And it's really misunderstood oftentimes. And one day you could say, I'm not drinking because you know, it doesn't feel good to me. And then three months later, you're like, I want to have some wine. Well, they don't understand why. And for you, maybe you're healing your gut and in three months it's better and you can tolerate a glass of wine. All they remember is that three months ago, you said that it was the worst thing ever and you can't touch it and it'll hurt you. So it's confusing for people. And for Bruce, I think it was so hard for him coming home to me every day. Last year, I I was on disability from work. I couldn't do anything. And I was sleeping 16 hours a day for three months. And I literally never got off the couch or out of bed. And he would come home after work and I would not have moved. And I was still watching Grey's Anatomy. And I was upset and I was crying and I was in pain and I, I couldn't figure out what was happening. And he just didn't know what to do. And I didn't know how to tell him what I needed. Hey, lovely listeners, I am just popping in real quickly to share with you a bit about this upcoming Feminine Surrender Retreat. May 17th to 19th, I will be inviting 10 women into a cozy mountain home to make malas, do acro yoga, learn about the feminine and the masculine, have an amazing cacao ceremony, experience a sound bath and gong sound healing. It's going to be an incredible time to create more sisterhood and community. If you are listening to this before then, go ahead and apply. Go to maddiemoon.com slash events and you can apply for the next Feminine Surrender. And even if you're listening after those dates, go ahead and apply because I have these retreats going on all throughout the year and I would love to slow down with you to see if you would be a great fit. And if you're curious, what actually is possible at these events? What kind of connections can you expect to create? Will retreats actually help me? What would I gain from one? Go listen to episode 238 of the podcast where I interview two girls, both named Rachel, about their fairy tale story from being strangers to being best friends. I look forward to receiving your application, answering all your questions about retreats and slowing down with you to see how great of a fit this particular treat would be for you. All right, let's get back to the show. So since that time... What are a few of the things that you realized you needed and what you need in relationship in order to feel supported? I think someone that asks how you are, but doesn't push. I think there's a really fine line of someone constantly saying, are you okay? What do you need? Can I do this for you? You know, I think I'm a grown woman. I want to be able to function by myself, but I also want someone that's going to ask me if I'm okay and if I need anything. On the flip side of that, I need to be better about saying, yes, I would love for you to bring me a cup of tea, or would you mind making me breakfast? I always say, no, it's okay, I'm fine, or I'm good, thanks. And if you have someone that's willing to offer to do things for you, then allow them to do things for you. You Mm -hmm. can't sit here and say, oh, I want you to support me and help me. And then always say, no, I'm fine. And I made that mistake a lot with Bruce. He would always offer to do things. How can I help? And I'm like, no, it's fine. No, it's fine. And then I'm upset because he's not doing something for me. That's not fair. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. that is so unfair, but in my convoluted screwed up mind, when I'm feeling crappy, that's how I process things. I'm like, no, I'm good. Um, and so I think 
think it's really being okay with taking help when it's offered to you, especially by the person that loves you more than anyone. That's, that's what they want to do is to really help you and show up for you. And so I think for me, the biggest lesson has been learning to allow someone to show up and that be okay. Um, and I think, you know, it goes to learning to say no and not being out and doing things and having open communication about that. We would, he would want to go out and do something. And I would just say, you know what, that's just not something that I want to do. I'm tired and it's more important for me to sleep. And I will let him go do that thing. I didn't hold it over him and guilt him into staying home with me. If he wanted to go be out with his friends and that wasn't good for me, I didn't want him to be home with me instead when I'm just either going to go to sleep or lay on the couch and watch a movie. So I think it's really having that communication of not guilting each other and allowing the other person to continue to live their life, but also show up for you when you really need it. If I needed him and I told him, Hey, I need you to stay home tonight. I really need that support. I need you to take care of me. Then he knows that obviously it's important enough that he needs to stay home. But you can't expect people to know when to do things if you don't openly communicate that. What you pointed out there around setting him up for success by speaking what you need, not secretly wanting something and saying you don't want it, that's gold right there. Because I think a lot of people do this where we're afraid to speak speak our mind, speak what we need. Hey, I really need your help to do this thing because we were raised in such a hustle, masculine kind of society that says, do everything yourself, prove that you can do it, be strong, blah, blah, blah. And that we're afraid to say, we can't do something. We need help. I work with a lot of moms who struggle with this and that they have three or four children. And what they really need is a day to themselves to leave but they're afraid of asking their husband to take over. They're afraid of not sounding like a good mom by always being there that they secretly wish someone would step up and take care of the kids in that way, but then not have to ask. And then Mm -hmm. there's resentment that builds secretly for someone not saying, Hey, I'll do this for you, even though they didn't speak their needs and their requests. It's a cycle. It's a loop. And it's very, very important that we learn to still feel the uncomfortable emotions that come with it because sometimes asking for help, especially at the beginning and receiving help can be a very uncomfortable thing. I've experienced this. If someone buys me a coffee or someone buys me dinner, like a friend who I'm not dating, someone who just says, I want to buy you dinner. And I might be like, Oh my God, Oh my God. And I just have to tell myself, receive, 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 receive. And sometimes that's the best way to remind yourself to receive is just simply saying it in your mind, receive this, receive this. You can receive this because Mm -hmm. it can be so uncomfortable for us who live in a society that there's so much emphasis on doing everything yourself, but it is a gift to receive not for us necessarily of course it literally is a gift but for them it's a gift whenever we are able to do something for someone else that serves them so in Mm -hmm. in its own way it was a gift of course for you to receive bruce's help but then also it's such a gift for him to feel useful and helpful and know that he's doing something good for you i'm sure Yeah, I totally agree. And something else that's really been coming up for me lately in terms of receiving is I, I constantly do things for other people. I, whether it's take them out or, you know, get them little care packages when they're sick, whatever it is, I'm, that's just how I am. I'm such a mom. I like to take care of everyone and fix everything. I realized that I want someone else to take care of me like that, which is so often why I think I'm doing those things. It is out of the good goodness and kindness of my heart. It's not from a bad place, but it really is Mm -hmm. because I do things because I also want someone to take care of me the way I take care of someone else. And then when I, if someone offers to do one of those things for me, I feel uncomfortable and I can't receive it. And so it's like, okay, you're doing all these things. You're really wanting someone to take care of you. Yet when they try and do it, then you're like, no, I'm good. It's okay. Don't do that for me. Oh, it's fine. Okay. No, say yes. Thank you. And let them do it. (laughs) Mm. Oh God. I love it. It's so good. Okay. So we're coming up here on the end of the podcast interview. And before we head over to the divine deep dive round, I want to ask you, where can people connect with you online? If they want to listen to all your amazing interviews. So we are the platform podcast and we're on every platform you can listen to podcasts and our website is this is the and you can follow me on Instagram at Kelly M Tennant. That's K E L L I M T E N N A N T. 
perfect. And I will have those links on the show notes to this, maddiemoon.com slash Kelly dash tenant. Okay, divine deep dive round time. Whatever comes up in your mind first. Okay. Who would you call one of your most significant teachers? My girlfriend, Laura Holloway. What is one must-read book? Choose Wonder Over Worry. How would you describe you and Bruce's love? Unending. Hmm. What's your spirit animal? Giraffe. (laughs) What is your biggest, quote, guilty pleasure? Ooh, I love having wine and watching reruns of Grey's Anatomy or Scandal or something like that. I love that because you mentioned both those things, Grey's and wine. I'm like, okay, I I get this girl. I like it. it. (laughs) That's how I roll. What's a social norm that you think is absolutely ridiculous? That we all have to look a certain way. Oh yeah. What is one practice, a daily practice? Oh, you cut out. I missed the beginning of that. Sorry. That's okay. What is one daily practice that you swear by? And it's like your lifeblood. You love it so much and you would advise everyone to go out and try. Ooh, this is actually new for me. I journal every morning. First thing when I get up, I pour my tea, I turn on my fireplace, I turn on my chill music, and I journal for as long as I need to. And it has absolutely changed my life. Oh my God. The fireplace edition. Yeah. Oh. I mean, it's a fake one. I live in LA in an oh, apartment, okay. but it's still beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It does not matter. Still amazing. I'm mess last. I mean, mess last, less mess as well, which is great. Yes, exactly. What's your favorite meal right now? Oh, I am very into kitchery, which is from Ayurveda, which has been part of my healing. And it is a mix of, um, and now I'm blanking because it's too early in the morning. Um, ghee, ghee, rice. rice. Uh, there's a ton of, I put a ton of roasted vegetables in there mm. and uh, dal. Yes. Which dal. is split mung bean. I'm actually planning to make that today. So it's funny oh. you said that. Yeah. I just got the ghee that I needed. Um, I made a lot of that whenever I was in LA and I haven't made it since. So now I've got all my things again. I'm like, all right, I want to make this. It's so good. Yeah. It's really, really great for healing. So if anyone is trying to heal their gut or just eat really wholesome foods to kind of calm your immune system down, it's a really great meal. Two more questions. What is your favorite form of movement? Oh, I love orange theory. Mm -hmm. I've never done it, but I've been meaning to. It's fun. That's where Bruce teaches. So I've been addicted for four plus years. And very last question, who would you cast to play you in a movie about your life? Sandra Bullock. Oh, I love her. I can totally see (laughs) that. That's fantastic. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us on the Mind Body Musings podcast today. Your story is inspiring. I love hearing about your relationship dynamics. And we didn't get too much into that today. So I really urge everyone to go listen to the interview you did with Jordan Younger on her podcast because it's so insightful and juicy. But other than that, I just want to say thank you, you beautiful soul, for all the work you are doing in this world and shining your gorgeous light. Thank you so much. I appreciate your work and everything you've done. I love your show. I listen to it often and I'm just so happy to be connected with someone like you that inspires me and someone I can learn from regularly. So thank you.